All right. So uh, I got a text last Sunday uh, from Bob, one of our elders. I don't know if you guys know Bob. He usually greets at the door with Marty. Um, he's up in Canada and Manitoba, Canada, and he texted me after service, and he texted me, uh, Y-H-M-T-A-W-W-J-D. <laughs> right? Some of you are trying to figure it out before I get to where I'm going. But uh, I was out like with some friends doing some boating things, so I couldn't even open the text, but I was like, I got to find out what that that is. But he, but he text, what he was saying with that is he said, you have me thinking about what would Jesus do, right? And I would say that is my goal. Uh, it's my goal in general, whether we agree or we don't agree with all the things I'm talking about or whether we're, we're having new insight or old insight or I'm changing the view, I don't know. But I just want people to be able to think about it, think about do we do what Jesus did? So the first week we opened up with, what would Jesus do? He came to show mankind that they were not capable of fulfilling the law, but he didn't leave us there, thank God, right? He didn't leave us there. Um, he fulfilled the law himself. Last week, we talked about what, do, what did Jesus do, right? What did Jesus do? And what I told y'all was that Jesus broke rules, right, specifically religious rules, and he did that so that we could see his love for people in action. And God wants to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think, and I believe that he did that when he came as well. All right, so I get questions all the time. Um, all right, now that we have this amazing message, and now that we understand grace, and now that, like, what do we do, right? That is the question what do we do? And if you're wondering what those words are, some of you got it right, maybe you didn't. I had different uh, on your bulletin. Uh, we, that's what it says, is what do we do is the question, right? And um, I, I, I want to kind of explain, um, there's, there's one thing, I think there's one thought that, and in today, I'm going to kind of say things that we don't do as well as things that we do do inappropriate language, right? Um, I had to say it at some point, so today was the day. Uh, I know, I know. Uh, the kids in the kids' church would get me, right? And so, um, but there, there was a, there's a message Clark preached a few weeks ago. If you get a chance to go back and listen to it, it was all about rest and resting in God. And I believe when you're talking about these, these things and what we do, um, I believe that we all operate from a place of resting, and the message that he preached is exactly uh, the thought process that I believe we should start from. Um, but I will say, in Arizona, um, there was a guy that I had run into. We, we were a church that also came under grace, and we understood some things out of that, very similar to this church, and um, this guy came. Let's just say his name was Steve, Okay. Instead of Bob, we're going to go with Steve, okay, or John. His name was Steve. And so Steve came to our church, and he'd been watching a lot of grace teachings online, and he understood grace when he came. And, in fact, we had great conversations when we would go out to eat and talk and all this. Um, but Steve got onto this thought process of resting, right? And he kind of um, made that word his life, okay, to the point that Steve quit his job, 
Um, Steve stopped doing things around the house, fixing things. He stopped working on his car. Um, why? Because he was resting. He stopped being friendly to people because he was resting. He stopped going place because he was resting. He stopped investing in his marriage because he was resting. Okay, his, his marriage wasn't doing too well, and we'd, we'd say, you should invest in your marriage, and he'd say, well, I'm sorry, I'm resting. Um, <laughs> that doesn't go well at my house. I can't use that excuse quite as well. I wish I could. Um, uh, there were other things that he would say, uh, you know, hey, so we thought maybe this will, maybe he wants to be involved in church. We'd say, do you want to be involved in church? Do you want to greet at the front door? And Steve would say, no, I'm resting. We'd say, maybe he wants to speak. And he'd say, no, I'm actually, I'm resting even from that. I'm just resting. And we said, do you want to rest from your resting? And he's like, no, I'm resting. I can't rest from resting. Like at some point you got to, you have to stop all this resting. Um, and I have no problem with resting, right? I like naps. Does anybody like naps in here? Right? I like hammocks. Um, I want to get a sleep number bed at some point. I want to get one of those my pillows. I think those things are amazing, right? I think Jesus took naps. It talks about it. He even took naps on boats. That's a heavy napper, okay? Um, the disciples took naps. Uh, you don't believe me, I have a scripture, um, Mark 6, 30 through 31. It says, the apostles returned to Jesus from their ministry tour and told him all they had done and taught. Then Jesus said, let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. That's called a nap. Um, he said this because there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't even have time to eat. So it said ministry tour. It didn't say resting tour. Can we all agree? Um, when Jesus said, my burden is easy and my yoke is light, he wasn't saying it's good to be lazy. Um, and, but what he was saying is when you're connected with me, right, you will be working from a place of rest. You'll be working and not working towards that. Grace doesn't recreate people. I don't know if you guys ever, did anybody see Jungle Book? Remember Jungle Book, right? And now I'm talking like Disney language here. We're in Orlando, so we should know about Jungle Book. Um, but do you guys remember the buzzards that were on Jungle Book, right? Was it the, were those the Beatles? I don't know what they were, but they were like, what you won't do? I don't know. What you won't do? I don't know. What you won't do, right? Grace doesn't make us into buzzards where we don't know what to do, Okay. And actually, this guy, we, we started a, a phrase, but we said grace isn't a bubble bath, right? It doesn't produce lethargic believers, but a springboard that energizes us to overcome and live fulfilled and abundant lives. Is it easy? No. Is everything perfect? Absolutely not. Does everything go our way? No, it doesn't. Um, so we're going to the, the question still remains, are there things to do? Yes. And then you might still be asking, well, what do we do? So today I'm going to go through just a list of things that, that we can do. I mean, I could tell you, I could spend a year talking about things that we could do. I think that's what most churches do. Um, but I'm going to talk about it from a place of rest, right? So it might sound a little Sunday schoolish, but it's more from victory, rest, um, because Jesus fulfilled it all. Amen. So what do we do? What do we do? Number one, we demonstrate. We demonstrate. All right, John 13, 34 through 35, it says, So I give you now a new commandment. Love each other just as much as I have loved you, 
And when you demonstrate the same love I have for you by loving one another, everyone will know that you're my true followers. All right, so this word demonstrate, there's synonymous words that I want to tell you here. Um, It's establish, prove, substantiate, attest, authenticate, and validate. When we love each other, we are proving God's love to the world that we are his followers, right? We are already his true followers, but when we love others, we are authenticating God's love. Does that make sense? It also didn't say if you don't love each other as much as I've loved you, then you're not a true follower. It just says everyone will know. Because here's the, here's the truth of the matter. We could talk about God's love. We could talk about grace. We could talk about all these things. And you are still not required. You're not, God's not going to abandon you because you're not loving others as Christ loved you. He's just saying that other people are going to take notice that when we love other people, when we go out into the world and we love people or we love each other, people will take notice. It didn't say that when we become the ultimate moral example, because that's what I believed, right? That everyone will know who God is by me behaving a specific way. When I I can look more like Jesus, when I can look just like Jesus, then I'm positive people will know who God is. We demonstrate by loving each other well. Um, This also means forgiving, forgiving each other right? This is how we show, and this is how we prove, and this is how we demonstrate as we forgive each other. We overlook things. We overlook things, right? Uh, We have compassion. We have compassion on people. This is what we do. We have compassion. Um, Sometimes we stand up. Sometimes when we see that people are being hurt, sometimes love is sometimes standing in the gap and saying, no more, This does not need to continue, right? Also, not being offended, right? Not being offended. Now, being offended is an interesting um, thought process because 1 Corinthians 13, 5, and the living, this isn't in your notes and this isn't going to be on here. But when I read this, this really stood out to me. But it says, love does not demand its own way, and it is not irritable or touchy. And it says, and it does not hold grudges and will hardly even notice when others do it wrong. Now, I love that because most of the time we think of love as reciprocal, like we're going to get something back every time we show love. But this type of love that I'm talking about is a love that when you extend your hand, even if you're going to be harmed or hurt, love still extends. It still loves whether it comes back to us or not. That's what we do. Um, St. Teresa of Lisieux, I'm sure we read her stuff all the time. She said, when one loves, one does not calculate. That's so good, right? It doesn't keep track. What does scripture say? It says it keeps no record of wrongs. Uh, I love what Peter says. It says that um, love covers a multitude of sins, covers a multitude of sins. I I heard this illustration from my father-in-law years ago. I don't know if it applies, but he talked about that love sometimes is the windshield wipers, and it just pushes all the stuff to the side so that we can see people the way that we actually are supposed to see people. Romans 2.4, it says, do the riches of his extraordinary kindness make you take him for granted and despise him? 
Haven't you experienced how kind and understanding he has been to you? Don't mistake his tolerance for acceptance. Do you realize that all the wealth of his extravagant kindness is meant to melt your heart and lead you to repentance? Now, we, we've talked about this word repentance here at this church, and it means metanoia in the Greek. If you were to look it up, this is literally all it means. But it literally means a change of mind. And here's what I want to tell you is we have the capability of demonstrating God's love and changing people's minds about how they view God. I saw somebody's uh, slogan the other day is we want to change people's mind about how they view church. For me, and I feel like for you, uh, we want to change people's mind about how they view God because most people believe that God really is angry with them. Most people still do believe that. But we want to change people's mind about how they view God. There was a guy um, out in um, Tulsa where me and my wife were first married out there. Well, we were married in Ohio. It's a long story. But anyways, uh, we were living out in Tulsa, and we were going to this uh, Tex-Mex restaurant. I know it wasn't true authentic, and those that are into authentic, it's judgy for us to go to Tex-Mex. But it was called Tia's. I don't even think the restaurant's still there. But uh, we were sitting there, and we were just talking with the waiter. And I remember the waiter, the third time he came by, he, he kind of he just asked us in passing, but he said, can you all tell me why you're so nice? Right? And we had an opportunity. I was like, how do I respond to that? Like, because Ruthie and I are just being kind of normal in ourselves and how you should be when you go out to eat, right? And I, I said, well, I don't, I don't know what to tell you. I'm like, God loves us, and so we just like to show his love. And he leaned down at our table, right, on one knee, and he goes, can you tell me about this God that you're talking about? Like, can you tell me? Because I've been serving Christians all day long, and I can tell that there's something different about the God that they believe in. And that's how evangelism should work, is that when we're kind, when we love other people, when we, it's not dependent on how the service was. I don't even remember how the service was. Sometimes I feel like I should get served correctly, right? Um, what do we do? The second thing we do is we communicate. We communicate. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21 it says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And all this is from God. Through Christ, uh, though, through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Now, I know that everybody's going to be resistant to this, but I just want you to know, you are all called into the ministry. I, ha I have the capability. I'm calling you into the ministry. All right? And you're like, I don't know about all that, Matt. Uh, it takes certain qualifications, you know, certain. Listen, I was telling people about Jesus way before I believed in Jesus. All right? I was going to all these places with all my friends, and I would just bring up God. I'm like, man, God has to be real, y'all. Like, you have to think about it. And they're like, Matt, could you please stop talking about God? I'm like, no, I mean, you really need to think about it. Like, have you guys thought about Jesus and God and and this is before I even believed in him, right? There were no qualifications there. Um, Matt, I don't really want to be in the ministry. Too late. Too late. What is the ministry of reconciliation? Verse 19, it says, that is, in Christ, 
God was reconciling the world to himself and not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Verse 20, it says, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. This word ambassador, if you were to look it up, it's, a, it's someone who speaks on the behalf of one they represent. Right, and I, I know it. Usually, it's from a, a foreign country, or they're representing um, somewhere where they're they're from. Um, but it says someone who speaks on the behalf of the, the of the one they represent. The rest of this verse, let's let's continue. It says, "We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, He made Him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the very righteousness of God." All right, anybody ever heard of the uh, elephant mentality in here? Have you guys ever heard of the elephant mentality? Okay, good. I'm going to read it to you. Um, A gentleman uh, was walking through an elephant camp, and he spotted that the elephants weren't being kept in cages or held by the use of chains. All that was holding them back from escaping the camp was a small piece of rope tied to one of their legs. And as the man gazed upon the elephants, he was completely confused as to why the elephants didn't just use their strength to break the rope and escape the camp. They could easily have done so, but instead, they didn't try to at all. Curious and wanting to know the answer, he asked the trainer nearby why the elephants were just standing there and never tried to escape The trainer replied, when they are very young and much smaller, we use the same size rope to tie them, and at at that age, it's enough to hold them. And as they grow up, they are conditioned to believe they cannot break away, and they believe the rope can still hold them. So they never try to break free, and the only reason that the elephants weren't breaking free and escaping from the camp was that over time, they had adopted the belief that it just wasn't possible. All right, here's what I want you to know. Uh, the world has adopted the belief that it is too hard to know God. They have adopted the thought process that God is angry, that he's holding my sin against me. Uh, I've even had people walk past and they're nervous to even step in the door even though I've invited them in because they believe that the roof is going to fall in on them if they walk in the door, right? And I want you to know, we... um, we have the capability to show them a different way. Really, and, and, and in some ways, they really were right. Um, the barrier, there was a barrier, and that barrier was sin. But Scripture says that Jesus became sin. He became the very thing that separated mankind from God. And then he laid down his life as the sacrifice so that that barrier doesn't have to be there anymore, right? Right? We get to be the ones who can tell people that the rope, that the imaginary rope on their leg cannot hold them from God. We get to be the ones that say, look, the sin that you have thought in your life is holding you back from being able to experience God, from being able to talk to God, from being able to come to know God, it's no longer there. It has been removed. Scripture says that all who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's not a one, two, three process. It's just you come to know God. You come talk to him. You get to know him, right? There was nobody, I'm telling you, there was nobody that came. I didn't come to an altar call. I didn't raise my hand so that I can receive. I just received God. Because the barrier, I realized that my sin was no longer holding me. 
And that's what we're to do. We're to show people that. Colossians 1, 21 through 22, it says, Even though you were once distant from him, living in the shadows of your evil thoughts and actions, he reconnected you back to himself. He released his supernatural peace to you through the sacrifice of his son body as the sin payment on your behalf so that you would dwell in his presence. And now there is nothing between you and the Father, and he sees you as holy and flawless and restored. There's nothing between us and the Father, and there's nothing that is really blocking the world from the Father. Uh, What do we do? The third thing that we do is we don't humiliate. We don't humiliate. Remember I said I was going to say some things that we don't do? We don't humiliate. Galatians 3, 1 through 3, it says, O foolish Galatians, who has cast an evil spell on you? For the meaning of Jesus Christ's death was made as clear to you as if you had seen a picture of his death on the cross. Let me ask you this one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? Of course not. You received the Spirit because you believed the message you heard about Christ. How foolish can you be after starting your new lives in the Spirit? Why are you now trying to become perfect in your own human effort? Now, this word fool, if you were to look it up, right, fool or foolish, it means moros. The root meaning of the English term is moron or moronic. Sophisticated version, we're going to give you the sophisticated version, is dull, nonsensical, and lacking a grip on reality. It's nonsensical after starting your new lives in the spirit. Why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort is what Paul is saying. So the first point I want to make under this is we don't humiliate ourselves. We actually don't humiliate ourselves. Um, I'll explain. Usually I don't like to tell stories that humiliate myself, but I'm going to go ahead and try. Um, Usually it's not that that hard is what most people would say. But um, so... Uh, at one point, I grew up here in Florida, okay? It is true. I grew up here in Florida, moved to Ohio for a little while, and uh, I was kind of resistant towards the things of Ohio, okay? I believe everybody should. If you ever move up north, you should be resistant towards those things, okay? <laughs> Some people resist the devil. I, re- I resist the snow. It's just what I do, okay? So my wife is from there, moved up to do construction and flip houses and all this stuff. And so one of the jobs that we had to do was uh, we went to this house that did not have heat in it, okay? We're in the snow. There's, there's no heat. So we're to bring these what they call Nibco heaters in. I don't know if you know what they are, but they look like big jets, and they make crazy noises, and it's right? It's crazy. So we bring it in, and then we're supposed to paint this whole house. All right. So just so you know, um, I had not acquired the attire that most Ohioans actually wear, okay? I was into shorts, um, and then I also wore windbreakers, okay? I just not, I didn't have a ton of blue jeans. I th- maybe I had worn them already, um, but I had a lot of windbreakers. But I also realized that people wore thermals up there. Does everybody know what thermals are? They're like warm clothes that you wear under your clothes to keep you warm. So it's like, okay, I can at least buy those, but I'm not going to go Carhartts. I'm not going to go country style and buy all these clothes that all these country people do out here, okay? I'm just going to resist it and wear windbreakers, and everybody made fun of me. All right. So I'm up there, this heater's rolling, I'm supposed to start spraying, I start spraying the house, and all of a sudden I can smell plastic burning, okay? And I'm like, where's this plastic burning? And I look down and my pants are completely on fire, <laughs> right? And I start, you know, I throw the sprayer down, I start smacking my pants to get, and the only thing that was left was the thermals up to here, all right? This side was fine, this side was thermals, all right? Um, 
Now, Scott, usually Scott's like, how are you still alive? I really don't know. I'm resistant towards death. Um, so I, I get back to the shop, and I was humiliated, okay? I was very humiliated. Why? Because I was trying to make work what worked here in Florida up there. Okay, I had moved countries is what I would say. Florida, the country of Florida, I had moved to the country of Ohio. Okay, and I was still trying to do that. But because I was doing that, I was humiliated. Okay, I, I was not, I was resistant towards those things. Paul had his caps button on and he said, don't be foolish. Why are you trying to become perfect in your own human effort? Colossians 2.10 it says, and, your own, and our own completeness is now found in him, and we are completely filled with God as Christ's fullness overflows within us. He is the head of every, every kingdom and authority in the universe. We have moved locations, okay? Um, fool means lacking a grip on reality, on reality. What reality? The reality that we receive the Spirit because we believe the message that we heard about Christ. So we cannot make ourselves perfect, nor should we try. Shouldn't try before you receive Christ, much after you receive Christ. Okay, the second uh, point I want to make under this is um, we don't humiliate or pontificate others. We don't humiliate or pontificate. If you're wondering what that pontificate word means, it means to speak or express opinions in a pump pompous or dogmatic way, right? I had this friend um, that wanted to hire me, I don't remember how many years ago, um, to come work with his church, okay? And once he found out that we knew Grace, he was like, oh my gosh, I cannot, I can't, we can't, I don't know if we can do this. And so we talked about all the things. And he's like, Matt, he's like, I can get on all, I can get on board with all things Grace, except for 1 John 1, 9. I just can't do it. we got to confess our sins, and we have to. There's no way. It's impossible, right? And in that moment, I had an opportunity. I could have said, well, let me tell you the ways of grace. I can tell you this, and I can tell you that, and I could, I could get him on board. Well, he wasn't talking to uh, believers. He was talking to unbelievers, and we could get into all these debates, right? But I had the opportunity. I said, I understand. I totally understand, and I get it, and I, I, we're, we're not going to we're not gonna stress. We're not going to major on the minors. We're going to let this go. I didn't even say any of that. I just kind of relaxed. I said, man, I, I've been there. I, there's a lot of things I'm still wrestling with, and I love that because I'm still there. I'm still there where it doesn't really matter where you are on your Christian walk, um, whether you agree with people about things or you don't agree with people. We, we don't have to come down on each other because this person believes this or this person is on this level, right? We can find the things that we can agree with and we can move on. And what's so cool about the friend that I'm talking about, that guy helped me through a really tough time a couple years ago. And if I had said, look, you're, you don't believe in the things I don't believe in, well, we're done with. We don't believe in anything together, right? But I just said, man, I love you. You're, you're a great friend. We're not worried about these things. And, and he said the same thing. And he's even helped our church behind the scenes with a lot of, like, organizational things and all of that. And what's interesting about that is He's even, I would say, <laughs> came to a better understanding of grace. And I don't even think we ever, have ever talked about that First John 1, 9 thing since then. And why? Because we're all in this boat together, man. 
We're all moving in a general direction. Nobody's on a higher level of grace, and nobody's on a lower level of grace. We're all across the board. We've all received the same spirit of adoption. Amen? Um, what do we do? The last thing that we do is we illuminate. We illuminate. Matthew 5, 14 through 16, it says, Your lives light up the world. For how can you hide a city that stands on a hilltop? And who would light a lamp and then hide it in an obscure place? Instead, it's placed where everyone in the house can benefit from its light. So don't hide your light. Let it shine brightly before others so that, you, so that your commendable works will shine as light upon them. And then they will give their praise to your Father in heaven. What do we do? We don't do good works so that God will shine his light on us. It said your lives light up the world. We do, we do good because it shines light on other people. We are light bearers. We tip well. We're generous with people. We're kind to people. We open the doors for people. We forgive. We love. God has been generous to us. How could we not be generous back? Amen? 2 Peter 1 through 3, it says, everything. How many things? Everything we could ever need for life and godliness has already been deposited in us by his divine power. For all this was lavished upon us through the rich experience of knowing him who has called us by name and invited us to come to him through a glorious manifestation of his goodness. Most believers spend the majority of their time trying to be like Christ, trying to imitate him, right? But this scripture says that everything that pertains to life and godliness already has been deposited in you and in me. What are we working towards? The same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in our mortal bodies, and as he is, so are we in this world. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. We're not trying to become more like him. We already are. What would Jesus do? What would he do if he were here? I believe he would do the things that I listed today. I believe that he demonstrated right? He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. He communicated right? That we cannot fulfill the commandments, that he was the only one. He didn't humiliate, right? Scripture says that he came out into the world to condemn the world, but that the whole world might be saved. And he illuminated. He said, I am the light of the world. And then in that same passage, he said, you too are the light of the world. What do we do? We demonstrate, we communicate, we don't humiliate, and we illuminate. Amen? We're going to do communion here in just a second, but I just want to pray over us, and um, it's been a fun series. I know God is doing things with us and through us, and I think he's only going to do more. I think there's going to be some awesome things that come uh, out of this church, but God, we, we trust you today. We, we thank you for who you are, God. We, as we're about to take communion, God, we, we focus on what your blood did, God. We thank you, God, that you washed us clean as white as snow and everything that pertains to life and godliness, God. We walk in that today. We honor you. We trust you. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen and amen. amen.